You may not be aware of this, but I'm a little bit of a Star Wars geek, and <laughs> I've always appreciated the Star Wars games that have hit the niches that I really enjoy, of which there are a grand total of two. This one and Star Wars Rebellion, which I've actually already done a rumination of, believe it or not. Now, the reason I bring that up is because you, you ever have a thing where you're walking along and you encounter something? Not literally physically, but I mean like a game or a book or a show or an idea or a concept or whatever. And it's like, that. That's what I want. And it clicks with you in a way that you'd never experienced before. It's being made aware of something you never knew you wanted, but now you realize just how much you desire it, right? That kind of idea? I'm sure you know what I'm talking about if, if you think about it. And I'm sure plenty of you have had something like that in the past. I'm sorry, what the heck? <laughs> just what in the world hmm. anyways <clears throat> so that's what this game was for me I was like oh my god I get to fly around and they probably think wasn't it X-Wing uh, no I actually played this game before X-Wing I'll talk about that in a second but this game was that for me just oh yes god fly shoot go but it wasn't just the fact that it was a starfighter game nor the fact that it was a starfighter game set in Star Wars it was a very specific blend blend of the three elements. So Star Wars, Starfighter game, and we're fighting as the Empire, but we're not evil. That was the unique mixture that really worked for me, and to my knowledge, has never been done before or since, that, that exact mixture, which is a shame. Now, it is worth noting for historical context, I have not played Squadrons as of this point in time, so I don't actually know if that manages or not, so I don't know. But... I went back and played X-Wing after this and was actually pretty disappointed by it because the mission structure in X-Wing is way more basic and the game has some very serious issues to it. <clears throat> but, nevertheless, I enjoyed this game going back through it. I do want to preface this a couple things, though. So back in the day, I actually had a, you know, a controller. But nowadays, I, I actually bought a controller for this run and a couple other runs, and it didn't work. And so I'm like, okay. So I had to jury-rig things a little bit. I wanted to write this down. So I have something called Joy to Key. Uh, what it does is it allows you to... So I, you, you probably use something like an Xbox controller or whatever. I have my PlayStation 3 controller, which I have hooked up to my computer. And so you can bind specific key bindings to that. So, you know, target nearest or uh, increase throttle or match speed or you know, whatever it is, switch weapons, all of the different key bindings. Because there's so many key bindings in this game, I could bind to that. At least... The ones I use all the time. If it wasn't for that, and the fact that I had the controller, this game would be horrific bad. I, I can't even imagine trying to play this. Actually, I totally can. Trying to play this game on mouse sucks. I've done it. If you're not having a trackball, just doing, you know, over and over again on the mouse really sucks. So, not something I would recommend personally. Uh, then you have, you know, the obvious, there's so many key bindings, so you're constantly having to do all this stuff. Now, I had a lot of muscle memory. I just kind of jumped right into most of the actual specific key bindings. But if it wasn't for being able to bind that, it would suck, which is why I prefaced this. If you haven't played this game, you can pick it up on GOG. You want the 1995 version, preferably, but the 1998 version is acceptable as well. Now, I specifically reviewed the 95 version. There's a couple reasons for that. First of all, it doesn't have some of the bugs or glitches that the 98 version does, since the 98 version was basically a crude port to a different engine. But it also was streamable, since it had the iMuse music, which is 
something beyond my skill to comprehend or explain. But what I do know about how the iMuse system works is it dynamically changes Rather than just playing a different music file, it dynamically changes the music based on incidents. So song songs can segue smoothly in and out of other different uh, cues, which is really important when you're in the middle of combat and you can hear an, an audio cue that says a ship has shown up or a ship has been destroyed or, or an objective has been accomplished. All those little things have little musical cues that play, which is really cool. This game, though, this wonderful little niche... It, it just it slid right perfectly into that that Tetris pl place. It's a damn shame because I feel like the game is severely hampered by its time. Oh, don't mistake me. I think it's aged well, and I enjoyed it just as much as I did back in the day, probably more in several cases. And it's still got an overall net positive score, even on the gameplay axis. But I do have to admit, the game shows several problems it has with the fact that this is a game that came out in 1994. <sighs> I, I don't I don't know how to summarize it. There, there's certain issues with how it doesn't know how to dead stick. Um, it doesn't know how to do hurt boxes or hit boxes all that well. The collision is weirdly con con constructed. They could only have so many objects active at a time. You know, there's there's a lot of little individual issues that were all tech related. So I don't I, I don't ding the game for that from a review perspective, but. It is the kind of thing where if this kind of game, if they sat down with the design and the directive and the passion in order to make this game now, it would be so much better. Because a lot of later missions solve the issue with the engine by basically making all of the objects on the screen, all of the ones that it can render, enemy. And you are you, and you have your, your thing that you're escorting. And by the way, this game loves escort missions. We've all talked about escort missions, and I've discussed escort missions before. But I, I just want to say, I'm not going to go into detail on that again. I just want to say that my personal least favorite... I'm saying the wrong. The, t the game which introduced me to how much I dislike escort missions is this game. This is when I particularly learned that lesson. So that was fun. The game does a lot right. There's several missions that are very fun. There's a lot of gameplay and story integration. What's strange is most of the stuff I really like most about this game is actually on the story axis. The professional and crisp British uh, officer who, who briefs you, the secretive member of the, the secret order, aka the organization that runs the Emperor's hands and has his, you know, his interactions with you. The fact that you can see stuff in mission, which doesn't, it doesn't really have any significance to the thing, but you'll see a ship warp in and then warp out, or maybe this one guy will flee, or maybe you'll notice that there's some officers on this thing, or maybe you'll notice that there's these mines that are being set up by another ship over there, which will then be in the next mission. There's a lot of intermission continuity, and a lot of stuff is being shown in the game, rather than someone sitting and telling you, and then they set up the mines, or and then they found the person. There's a lot of gameplay and story integration, and the way they show the story is brilliant. The initial campaign is awesome. I have almost no complaints about the entirety of the mission campaign. In fact, I only have two really big ones. Uh, one is the Harkov mission, which can go to hell, and the other is the final Palpatine mission, which I'll get to in just a second. But you have this overarching thread of three Imperial admirals, and you effectively follow their stories as you just kind of get assigned from thing to thing. Hear me out. This is so cool. We've got Admiral Harkov, Admiral Thrawn, and Admiral Zarin. You start off as just some random new recruit who, I know, we, we technically play Merrick Steele, and, or Stell, however you're supposed to pronounce that, and he's been forcibly recruited because he was caught, and he's doing prison time, and blah, blah, blah. We start off as a nobody in the immediate wake of the Battle of Hoth. 
These missions do a lot of good stuff very efficiently and quickly. They, they have you fly multiple different craft to get you used to all the different fighter craft you're going to be fighting. And they throw you up against basically every mission type you're going to be fighting throughout the course of this campaign. It's all relatively low tier stuff, but it gets you, it gets you in com combat experience of how the game is going to play. It also, from a narrative perspective, establishes exactly where we are. This is right after the Battle of Hoth, probably immediately following Empire Strikes Back, if not during the final hours of Empire Strikes Back. So we know exactly where we are in the story, and we know exactly what we're doing and why we're doing it. You'll also notice there's no winking at the camera. Remember that for later. So we do that. Then we encounter Admiral Harkov's cutscene. is like, I am willing to turn to the rebellion and blah, blah, blah. We help Admiral Harkov take out, uh, stop a civil war between two alien races, which is awesome. And this is a good time to mention one of the, my favorite things about this game. I mentioned we're not the bad guys. Yes, we do fight the rebels several times. And yes, we do a few evil things. But we are not running around puppy killing in this game. We are running around trying to actually maintain some level of civility within the organization that we run. For the most part, we go after two major, three major groups, excuse me. Uh, we go after people who are disturbing the peace, like the Civil War. You'll note, by the way, in the Civil War mission, they go out of their way to mention several times, we are here to try and peacefully resolve the situation, and we are trying to push them to the negotiation tables. They then attack uh, one of the others, so we defend, and then we defend the other side, as in we respond to a distress call for the side and we defend them. And then both sides decide to turn on us, so we go ahead and curb stop both, and in so doing, effectively force, force both to the peace treaty table. It's like, okay, now you're going to have peace. But the other thing, uh, we fight pirates and smugglers, we fight rebels, of course, although very, very rarely, but most importantly all, we fight rogue imperials. And all that makes perfect sense to me. All of that is the kind of enemies that the bulk of the Empire are probably dealing with on the majority of time. The Rebel Alliance was certainly a large thing, but it was only a large thing in, in, in context of its impact. You have an entire galaxy. There, the other 99% of the Empire isn't even dealing with the Rebel Alliance. And I like that we shifted that focus away from that. It's, it's very rare, because most of the time, they try to focus a little bit too heavily on the Rebel Alliance, which, again, I'll get to in a minute. So we help Harkov, and we stop the Civil War. However, during those missions, we find out that Harkov has been getting, uh, has been doing some weird stuff on the side, and is actually receiving rebel officers. That's a little bit strange. I wonder what that's all about. I'm sure it's nothing. In the immediate wake of that, our very next tour of duty, duty is to be assigned all the way to the Outer Rims, and, uh, Outer Rim territories, and help Admiral Thrawn, Vice Admiral Thrawn at the time, establish a base. I love that. They don't have to say it, but the idea is that because we were snooping around Harkov, who is implied to be financially well-off, politically connected, or both, I'm not sure which, which combination here, is someone who has basically tried to torpedo our career by doing the same thing to us that the rest of the overall hierarchy of the military has already done to Thrawn. Thrawn is being wasted out in the Outer Rim, setting up random bases in order to fight against random pirates and smugglers. Not a big deal. He is absolutely wasted in that capacity. And so are we. But of course, that's immediately what happens to us. After our success, Thrawn gets a little bit of recognition, and so do we. We get transferred to the, the Starfighter program. This leads us to Zarin. Now, spoilers. Three, two, one. Zarin is actually the main villain of the entire campaign. He is, in fact, the final boss. Uh, but he, he is the arc villain of, of the entire game. He, uh, for the record, since we were playing the 95 version, we were playing both expansions, so just to be clear about that, we went all the way up to uh, 2 or 13, I think it is. 
Zarin is interesting since he's the proto-warlord. Anybody who knows anything about Star Wars knows about the Star Wars warlords. I'm not going to bore you about that. But he was kind of the first one. Not only does this make perfect sense since most military dictatorships tend to have a warlord problem since individual military commanders tend to gain power bases and then they want more, so then they try to coup. That's a pretty normal thing, historically speaking. So the idea of this kind of thing is, is logical. But he also effectively sets the tone for what all of the warlords would do afterwards in the wake of the Emperor's death after Return of the Jedi. Spoiler alert. He is also perfectly positioned to be a villain for this game because we're a TIE pilot or whatever we're piloting, because they put us in the dumb boat entirely too often, which is one of my grievances with this game. But anyways, we're a, we're a TIE pilot, right? We're an Imperial pilot. So we are fighting someone who is one of the heads of Starfighter research and who personally believes that excessive uses of Starfighters as a superiority uh, strategy, it, um, I don't know what to call that. There's probably a term for that where rather than, basically rather than a bunch of capital ships, he has a bunch of fighters. That's his overall tactical approach. And that makes perfect sense for that to be a villain in a game where we're flying around and fighting as a tie, right? So narrative makes sense, uh, lines up perfectly, and of course, it also shows... And it, There's another brilliant way they do this. During the Harkov missions, we constantly have missions from the, uh, the Secret Order member, the member of the Emperor's Hand. It's like, you need to look into this, you need to look into that. And the implication, again, they don't say it, the implication is there that there's a lot of oversight over Harkov's operations and everything that's going on about his stuff. Cue the Zarin missions, which have, I think, a grand total of two times where the guy shows up at all. He's not even there most of the time, because why would he be? Zarin is a trusted Imperial official, and he is personally in contact with both Vader and Palpatine. He is one of the upper echelons of the Imperial military. And so Admiral Zarin doesn't need that kind of oversight. He's he's trusted. Oh, he's the one who becomes the dictator in turn, then just I love the way they do that. And of course, the final Harkov missions is when Zarin reveals his treachery. There's some really great interweaving of these three narratives uh, of Thrawn, Zarin, and Harkov. It does fall apart substantially at the finish line of the original campaign. Because after having done a whole bunch of awesome stuff, all of a sudden, oh, by the way, Palpatine has been captured by Zarin, and the entire Empire rests on your shoulders. Go save the Empire. What? The whole thing feels incredibly pat and like, don't worry, you're, you're the hero of the Empire. You, you are. Now, don't mistake me, we contribute a lot of really awesome stuff throughout the course of this series, but that's, that felt a little bit pat. And the entire thing, I know about the Sith Lady, I can't remember her name right now, who's the canonical explanation for why it is that Palpatine was, was uh, stunned at the time and why Zarin was able to capture him, but really this, this is where you're going with it. And what's funny is the last two missions where you're in the TIE Defender are a complete victory lap. You just smash your way through them. Which leads to the expansions. The first expansion was much better in my opinion. It had better overall mission design. And this one mission arc, which is great, I think it's mission 9. I looked it up and I had trouble figuring out specifics. But the idea, or excuse me, tour 9. The idea is Thrawn is still not a Grand Admiral. He's still not being super well supported. But he's the only one actively fighting against Zarin in his particular front. And so we have like one of the tight, one of the only tight defenders that we currently have. And it's like, okay, we need to get this thing out of here. And what happens is like stuff goes wrong and stuff goes wrong and stuff goes wrong. And they put the time and effort and work into making it make sense that we only have the one ship with the no support. There's one mission. I remember this beautifully. There's this one mission where we have us and our tie defender, two tie bombers, which we can call in for support and like one tie interceptor. And that's it. I might be getting the specifics wrong, but it was four ships. 
And that's all they've got left after the last three missions where we've been hammered, and we just can't seem to get away from this area, and our capital ship is damaged, and we don't have support, and, and just... The whole thing added so much more tension and made the whole you're actually the hero of the Empire make sense because you're the hero of this specific battle, and we pretty much pull that battle out by ourselves, but we earn it, rather than someone walking up and saying, don't worry, you're the hero, and Palpatine will personally recognize you. Instead, all of this lined up beautifully. Loved it. Then the missions fell off. Now, I said I'd talk about this twice, so here we are. Earlier, they make rather clandestine references to several things. Thrawn's campaign, the Outer Rim, um, there's the thing with uh, Hoth, of course, and it ties in several elements of the EU. In fact, this game was a pretty good puzzle piece to fill in several gaps in the EU. Why Thrawn wasn't at the Battle of Endor, what exactly was going on with TIE Advanced and why they were never mass-produced, why the TIE program in general was so lackluster because of Zarin's deliberate sabotage. All this stuff is explained in this game. Good stuff. Here's the catch. There's two full tours of, hey, 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 just seen Return of the Jedi? Because that's coming up soon. Don't worry, we're totally going to beat the pants out of the, the Rebels. Wink! Wink! And it's probably the worst part of the entire narrative for me, because they won't stop shutting up. They, they won't shut up about it. They won't stop yammering. I know, coming from me. But they won't stop yammering about how they've got this big plot and this big plan in order to capture the rebels and defeat them on Endor, and they've got the Death Star, and the Death Star's operational. And they just spew all this stuff at you, and it's like, why? It would have worked so much better if they hadn't done any of that. If all of the characters had been completely straight and in character, so we, the character, don't know about the Death Star or Endor or any of the plans, but we, the player, do, thus giving us a different perspective and allowing us to enjoy it properly. Also, that would have added some little bit of a <laughs> thing where, you know, they, they talk about how oh, we need to stop this ship at Sullust and blah, blah, blah. Instead, we just go through this runaround, and also Palpatine almost gets captured by Zarin again in a mission that is, in my opinion, incredibly badly designed. And that's the final thing. I know we were mostly talking narrative stuff. The last expansion and the last three tours needed a polishing pass. They needed a, a quality assurance testing, and they needed to play test way more. There's audio glitches. There's certain d bits where the dialogue plays literally in the wrong place. There's several parts where it's actually possible to softlock the mission. There's parts where your own ships would destroy your own sh the mission objective craft. And so the only way to progress is to destroy your ship, which would fail the mission, or let them destroy the mission-critical craft, which fails the mission. A lot of issues like that, and I do mean a lot of issues in in the in the final stuff. And it it's a damn shame. And if I ever replay this game again, I hope I get to someday. I will probably stop once I finish the the initial campaign and just be like, okay, I'm done. <clears throat> Pretty much the moment we take down Harkov, you could probably stop there if you're playing this game for the first time. When you finally successfully defeat the Protector, specifically the v Victory Star Destroyer Protector, chop it off there. You're not missing much. I can talk about other things. Uh, energy management system is awesome. I think the radar is extremely well designed when it comes to a HUD perspective. There's a huge amount of customization on how you play. Uh, the game probably could have been a little bit better designed in terms of how the dogfighting works and vary up the craft a little bit. There are way too many missions with the dumb boats. Uh, I call them that they're gunboats, but they're slow and they're crap in every way. They have terrible energy regeneration. They have crap shields. They have relatively low hull. Uh, they don't have that many missile things to accommodate it, so they've got nothing going for them. It's just, they're, they're bad, bad, bad. Now that's fine, 
Flying around in a crap ship, that could be fun, especially if the mission is designed around that. The problem is a huge amount of the later missions, especially in in the expansion uh, campaigns, clearly didn't think that out at all. What I mean by that, and I complained about this during my Resident Evil 3 remake uh, rumination, is it felt like they weren't designed. Not that they were designed badly, but no design intent was put into it. The only thought that feels like it was put into many missions was, well, here's a target you need to disable, so here's a gunboat. Because there's only two ships you have with uh, with uh, ion cannons. That's the dumbboat and the TIE Defender, and that's it. So here you go, have fun. And yet nothing is designed around it. They just throw you into the thresher. They could have designed these missions in a way so that they try to use the fact that you're in a weaker craft and maybe there's some manner in which you can actually use that to your advantage or maybe you can call in additional people or maybe you have a quick refill or maybe they triple your, your ammo capacity or something. Something to try and mitigate it. But instead they do nothing. It's just you're in a dumb boat. Have fun. Despite my complaints, I enjoyed this game tremendously. I do recommend it if you're interested at all in the genre. Uh, there are several other games in the series. X-Wing, which is worse, <laughs> but, you know, it's 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 its own thing. Uh, X-Wing vs. TIE Fighter and X-Wing Alliance, which are their own thing. And Squadrons, which just came out this year, actually. So we'll see what we think of that whenever we get to it. I do hope you've enjoyed my thoughts. For the Empire.